0: I find the uh, story of the wedding feast at Cana uh, to be both kind of a playful story, but also kind of scandalous uh, from a certain standpoint. First, the playful part. Um, you know, it's Jesus turning water into alcoholic beverages. And as you can imagine, every wedding reception I go to, everyone, I, I don't think it's ever failed, right? Someone says to me, Father, can you turn the water into everyone? And of course I have to act like they're being original and funny. Oh my gosh, we've never heard that before. You know? And then I tell them that, no, I I don't seem to have that power. And if I did have that power, I would turn water into whiskey. (laughs) Not into wine. So might not help you out. Um Right, so it's a playful story. Jesus is concerned with the embarrassment of a human couple. Runs out of alcohol at a reception, which is a terrible thing. Uh, I, I leave any reception where the alcohol runs out or where the bar closes at a certain time. The scandalous part is like, Jesus, of all the things you can do with your divine power, that's what you're going to do to start off your ministry? And, and this is the first miracle in the Gospel of John. Right, some of the in the tradition, they've called this John's Epiphany. This is like the three magi in John's gospel. First showing off to the world of his divine power. And you're going to use it on this? Something this seemingly trivial? A wedding reception? Lack of alcohol? I Couldn't solve world hunger or something? Establish world peace? So that's what I mean by scandalous. It, it, It almost... It can sound like wasteful of Jesus's divine power. You use it on something so, uh, so ordinary as the concern of a couple at a wedding reception. To me, it, this passage really speaks about uh, the power of the incarnation and how much God truly wanted to take on the human side of the divine human equation. It, it's not just pretending. God wants to enter into the fullness of human life right? This is a a human miracle. It's Jesus feeling on a human level a kind of sympathy and embarrassment and and feeling for the couple and wanting to do something about it. It's to acknowledge that wedding receptions are good, that that these things are good. It's it's to give a ton of credence to the human side of the human divine uh, equation. I want to just focus on a few details of the passage The first is, the line starts with, there was a wedding feast in Cana. And again, I think a Jewish hearer, uh, an astute Jewish hearer, would have thought about the first reading kind of immediately that we heard today, or thought about the book of Hosea, which speaks of God's relationship all in terms of a marital, nuptial union. Or think of the first reading we heard, where God says, "I, I think of you as my delight. You're by a spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. That part of the thread of the Old Testament, right, is setting up this relationship, this covenant with us and God as like a marriage. It's meant to be an intimate sharing of life and love with God. The Christian God is not just a God that wants to be honored or feared. God wants to be loved in an intimate way of sharing our life with his, and He sharing his with ours. It's meant to reflect the love of husband and wife. And so I I think it's, it's it's not coincidental that Jesus performs this first epiphany miracle in John at a wedding. Because he's saying, this relationship between this couple is meant to be like the relationship I have with each one of you. And of course, the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, as it describes heaven, describes everyone in love, in marriage, with the Lamb, with Jesus. And marriage is going to be the, 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 the kind of marital, intu- intimate love of each individual person with God. That's what everything is working toward. And so I think it's fitting uh, that this first miracle in John's gospel happens uh, at a wedding. The one who, who married together humanity and divinity, that's when we celebrated Christmas, who took uh, humanity and divinity and, and brought them together in a marital union in one person. Now he sets at a wedding Right? The beginning of what our goal is in the Christian life, which is deep friendship and intimacy, uh, with God. The second line is Mary's, uh, very simple but, uh, challenging line, uh, to the servants. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And I've always thought, I, 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 mentioned this at, uh, Daily Mass this week, because we had that line from Eli to Samuel. Speak Lord for your servant is listening. I've always thought uh, about like a top ten list of greatest hits of one-liners uh, in the Bible and what they would be, and actually bad one-liners. Good one-liners, bad one-liners. And I've tried to kind of compile my list of the top ten. Uh, with, with one-liners, one-liners that capture seemingly the whole of the, the thrust of the, of the Bible in one liner. And I, I was mentioning a daily mass because I think that would make the cut. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Um, I think uh, John's line, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. But I think this line would make the top 10. Right? Do whatever he tells you. Right? Mary's always deflecting away from herself to Christ. But it's a simple reminder that Jesus' Jesus's ideas on things are supposed to be our default vision. More than my own opinions do whatever he tells you, right? He is the standard, right? Not my own ideas, he, he, he is who I go to as my default voice in the midst of the cacophony of voices, including my own voice, as the constant reference point for what I think about the world, what I think about the nature of reality, what I think about relationships, what I think about stewardship and finances, what I think about caring for the poor, what I think about all those things, he is the reference point. He, is of view is the default position for me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to hear his voice first. And so Mary reminds us in that simple formula, do whatever he tells you, that the Christian discipleship is marked by this deference. To uh, the teachings of Christ. Finally, and my favorite little detail of the story is um, that Jesus always invites the human contribution in his miracles. Right. So, you know, think about like the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Okay. Jesus could have just made the food out of thin air. Right. He could have just zapped. Right? Food for 5,000. Okay? But instead, remember in the multiplication of loaves and fish story, he always insists on getting the, the little meager contributions that this boy has a couple loaves and a few fishes. Bring those to me. And it's from that that he multiplies the food. Similarly, in this passage, all he had to do with six empty jars is, zap, fill them with wine with his divine power. But he doesn't do that. He insists that the servants go and fill them to the brim, which it's a lot of water. It says six of them, 20 to 30 gallons each. So it's 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now when he turns that into wine, that's a lot of wine. Now mind you, Jewish wedding receptions were over in the course of a few days, so don't be too judgmental. You know, They're not drinking all that, that night. Okay, they, they're gonna extend the party. They partied a lot better than we do today. You know, ours was stuff like seven to ten. Done. No, they they partied multiple days. That's a lot of wine. That's a lot of water that they have to fill up. And what I think that's saying is, God wants our contribution. Like we've got to do something to get it to God right and he respects our contribution just like with the loaves and the fishes he wants the stewards he wants people at the reception to be a part of this miracle he wants them to make their human contribution to the miracle i'm not just going to do it all i want you to do something with your own free will and with your own choices and with your creativity and it says they filled them to a brim. It's as if they're saying, we did everything on our human side of the equation to give you the best thing that we could give you, and now we're going to turn it over to you to multiply it. Now we're going to turn it over to you to transform it. Right? To me, that's an invitation for us not to downplay the human side, to say we've got to We've got to perfect ourselves. We've got to strive our best in every area of life that we can to do our best and to fill it to the brim. But then we know when we get to the end and we say, we've, we've done everything we can, God, but now it's yours. Now I surrender. Now I give it to you to do more with it than I could ever do on my own. And I've seen that throughout my life. It's like when I try to fill it to the brim and do the miracle, it's messed up. doesn't work. When I don't fill it to the brim and I just want God to do the miracle by zapping it, it doesn't work. It's only if I give God everything I can possibly give to God, but then I have the ability to say, I surrender, and you take over from here. You do with this what you want now that I've given you everything and filled it to the brim. Then it works. Then God multiplies it, and he does things I could have never imagined him doing. But it's only because I maximize my side of filling my stone jars to the brim. And then God turns my little water into incredible wine. So I think that's the invitation with that great detail of the the passage. That God can turn wine out of our water, but we've got to give him the water. And we've got to do something. We've got to fill our part to the brim with how we live our lives and how hard we work how disciplined we are and how faithful we are. And we've got to give Him something to work with because He prefers to work with our stuff. That's what He shows us uh, in the various miracles. So friends, I, I, again, I think it's a playful story. It shows uh, God's love for humanity, His enjoyment of, of humanity. You know, I, when I went to Cana, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but I bought all this wine that I had shipped back to the U.S. so I could give it a little bottle to every couple I did their wedding for. The problem is the wine is terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's clearly not left over from Jesus wine because that would be a nice aged wine at this point. Um, it's terrible wine. So I'd always tell the couple in the letter, do not drink this under any conditions. Just put it on your mantle as a sign of the wedding piece to canaan But I've run out. I had so many weddings I ran out so I have to Go back to Israel just to get this uh, wine again. Um, But again, it's a playful story. Also kind of weird to think about Jesus using his power for this. But it's also an uh, an invitation for us to embrace God's desire for an intimate marriage uh, relationship in our life. It's an invitation to follow Christ's teachings, to do whatever uh, he tells us. And an invitation to fill our jars, our lives, to the brim and then turn them over and see what miracles God can do.